The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. This is I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and my guest today is Bill Eddy, who is a therapist, an attorney, and a mediator. He's also the president of the High Conflict Institute, which you can find online at highconflictinstitute.com, and it's based in San Diego, California. Mr. Eddy provides training about managing high-conflict personalities to attorneys, mediators, judges, mental health professionals, lawyers, parents, and other folks. He gets around. He's given presentations and or training programs in more than half of the states in the USA, in several provinces in Canada, and in France, Sweden, Australia, and New Zealand. Bill Eddy is a certified family law specialist and a licensed clinical social worker in California. He has written several books, including... High Conflict People in Legal Disputes, and Don't Alienate the Kids. So we'll talk about his websites later. That was already a long introduction. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks so much, Virginia. I'm glad to be on. Okay, it's great to have you here. I have perused your websites a fair amount, and I know that you have a lot that you can teach people about high-conflict personalities, and how to cope with them. So our primary topic today will be dealing with high-conflict people in the context of co-parenting. And this applies whether people were married and subsequently separated and maybe divorced, or even if they were never married to each other at all but they had a child together and they have both chosen to stay involved in the child's life. So you write a lot about high conflict (laughs) people. What does it mean? Well, high conflict people, um, a lot of times people say, oh, I know because I think so-and-so is like that. But actually in looking at this over the past 10 years, really, We've refined it to basically four characteristics. One is high-conflict people tend to frequently be preoccupied with blaming others. It's all somebody else's fault. And a lot of times that's the other co-parent. Sometimes it becomes a child or one of the kids. Uh, Sometimes it becomes a counselor or a lawyer for the other parent. So blaming but also a lot of all-or-nothing thinking. 
It's got to be my way. You, I can't budge on that. Um, sometimes unmanaged emotions, and some high-conflict people have a lot of that. They, they, they react to things out of proportion, maybe start yelling, screaming, or burst into tears when it doesn't really fit the situation. And lastly is extreme behaviors, things that 90% of people would never do. Uh, lying, hiding children, hiding money, um, all those kinds of things. So those four characteristics are really probably the simplest way to look at who are high-conflict people. Suppose that I'm a parent and I think my ex has a high-conflict personality. Should I tell him? Absolutely not. That's one of the things that's very clear. It, it doesn't help, and it usually increases conflict and makes it hard later on. And while I mention all-or-nothing thinking as a sign, I, I'm saying now you should absolutely not tell the other parent they have a high-conflict <laughs> personality. It's not because I'm having all-or-nothing thinking. It's because one of the things is... That's a boundary, and that you need to have boundaries in relationships, and you need to hold your tongue sometimes. I had a case where we were negotiating. Uh, in this case, I was a lawyer for the husband, and the wife uh, had, had characteristics of a borderline personality disorder. And he told her, he says, I think you have a borderline personality disorder. And Ouch. we negotiated over and over again, we went back and forth to court, back and forth negotiations, and right when we'd almost have an agreement, she said, well, I'm not going to agree because everybody thinks I have a borderline personality disorder. So we, it's very clear, don't, don't judge the other person. Really look at how you can respect them and make proposals to work with them, but don't tell them they have a high-conflict personality or even a personality disorder. Right. Because if you say that, they're going to get angry and defensive and not believe you. Exactly. And, and even if they don't have a high-conflict personality, that makes anybody defensive. Right. What are some of the common high-conflict issues that come up when people are negotiating their separation or their divorce? Well, probably the most high-conflict issue is who has primary custody of the child or children. And in a lot of high-conflict cases, we have one parent, let's say mom, says that dad's abusive, he's, he's dangerous to me, dangerous to the kids, and dad says mom's crazy, she takes too many medications, she's depressed, and so they each think they should be the primary parent. And in some cases, they say the other parent should be uninvolved completely. Needless to say, this usually increases the conflict. And so we see some of the most high-conflict cases are like this, where people are going to court sometimes for three or four years, fighting over who's good and who's bad. And the courts just generally really resist that type of approach. The courts try not to have an all-or-nothing approach in family court, they really are looking at how can we get people to working together, making their own decisions, 
And so the trend today anyway is towards more equal shared parenting time. So the idea that one parent should totally have the children, control the children, make all their decisions, um, really escalates conflict. So that's, that's probably the biggest. But any issue can become an issue if you have high-conflict personalities. And some cases have two high-conflict parents, and some just have one, and the other's trying to be reasonable. And so some of the things that happen is people don't say how much income they have or people don't look for work who could work. So you have child support conflicts that become high conflict sometimes. Um, we have where, what city the parents are going to live in. So move away issues or relocation issues are often a high conflict um, Issue, But frankly, anything could become a high-conflict issue if you have a high-conflict co-parent because it's not the issue, it's the way they think and approach problems with this kind of all-or-nothing perspective. I have certainly seen that in some of the cases that I've worked with. Is there any solution you know, courts, if one parent keeps going back to court and filing another motion and another motion and they just can't agree on custody, I've seen some of these nightmares go on, as you say, for years. Is there is there a way to cut through and solve the problem? Well, I think there's several ways. Um, first of all is realizing, first of all, you don't have to go to court to manage a high-conflict case and that in many ways going to court increases the high-conflict behavior for someone with a high-conflict personality. So it's worth trying to solve some of the problems out of court as much as possible. If parents have, uh, if they each have a lawyer, is trying to encourage their lawyers to help them agree, maybe have meetings together, what we call a four-way conference with the two lawyers and the two parents and trying to resolve it. Or going to mediation. There's a lot of skilled mediators nowadays who are used to high-conflict cases and actually do a really good job at calming them much more than the court would calm them. And we've seen that difficult issues um, are given more detailed treatment in mediation than they can be in a court hearing where a judge has six other cases waiting in the courtroom, if not 16 other cases sometimes. So really trying to negotiate negotiate out of court tends to be the better way to go. You really want to exhaust efforts to do that. And I've seen many, many cases. I think the majority of high-conflict cases can uh, be settled out of court um, if there's at least one reasonable parent. And often I've seen it with two. I've had two parents with personality disorders reach agreements in mediation so a lot is the calming influence. When people are calmer, even high-conflict people have a range of behavior. So some of the time they can make good decisions. And out-of-court methods, negotiation, mediation, um, collaborative divorce, uh, we have a program called New Ways for Families that teaches skills for negotiating and making decisions. All of these are worth really exhausting before going to court, because I see people get stuck in court like quicksand, and it goes for years, and, and sounds like you said you've seen that as well. Yeah, I have. So, 
mediation or collaborative law or having your two attorneys help you with the negotiations so that you come to an agreement without going to court where there's people are likely to think there's going to be a winner and a loser. Although my experience is often there are two losers, right. no winners, but people walking in think there's going to be a winner and a loser and I don't want to be the loser. So it does escalate the conflict. Yes. So better to take one of these other approaches. This is probably a good place to mention that a lot of articles for free and books and other resources are available at your website, the high, sorry, www.highconflictinstitute.com. It's a treasure trove for anybody who's in this kind of situation or has a friend in this kind of situation. And, and one thing I can mention there is on the website, they can click on the tab that says articles and then click on the tab that says parenting and divorce articles. And I was just trying to see how many we have. I think we've got at least 25, maybe even 30 articles there that um, really address all kinds of topics, especially ones when high conflict is involved to help manage them so people can go move forward in their lives rather than living in the conflict. Okay. So while they are living in the conflict, one of the things that's happening in the process of divorce or in the process of negotiating the child's schedule for parents who were never married to each other is the the legal negotiations, the, you know, the negotiations about what the plan is going to be for the child's schedule. Another thing that's going on is that these two people are interacting with each other. They're sending email. They're talking to each other on the phone. Maybe they're texting each other. They are in close proximity to each other when it's time for a child to go from mom to dad or from dad to mom. So, If a parent is in that situation and the other parent truly does have a high-conflict personality, even if we shouldn't tell them so, what are some of the things they can do to make the behavior flow more smoothly, to make things, keep things calmer, make things easier? Well, I think the key thing is not to try to change the other parent, but to change how you respond of the other parent because you can influence the other parent by your own responses. In other words, if you're more emotionally intense, emotions are contagious and the other parent will become more emotionally intense and they may not be able to manage that emotion as much. So helping yourself stay calm really will actually help them stay calm. So that's one thing, but how you communicate, how you write emails, how you speak, the tone of voice, uh, making proposals to solve problems. All of these are things that you can do from your end of it, which actually have a surprising amount of success once you get good at it. And I can talk about those in more depth um, if you wish. Yeah, this is probably a good time to talk about your BIFF, BIF, Responses for Emails. Cause sure. Emails can be challenging, and this is applicable well beyond the arena of parenting. You have a great method for that. Yes, this is called our BIF response, and we're teaching it a lot in the workplace now, 
as well as in divorce cases. And anybody can use this. BIF stands for Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm. And actually, if you've got about three minutes, I can read you an interchange that demonstrates how a BIF response sounds different from the kind of hostile email that people may receive. Let's go for it. Okay. So let me give you an example. Joe writes an email to Jane, and they've been, they've been uh, separated and divorced for a couple of years, and they've got a couple kids. So he says the following. Jane, I can't believe you're so stupid as to think I'm going to let you take the children to your boss's birthday party during my parenting time. And this is his email to her. Have you no memory of the last six conflicts we've had about my parenting time? Or are you having an affair with him? I always knew you would do anything to get ahead. In fact, I remember coming to your office party, witnessing you making a total fool of yourself, including flirting with everyone from the CEO down to the mailroom kid. Are you high on something? Haven't you gotten your finances together to support yourself yet without flinging yourself at every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and on and on and on and on? And I'll bet some of your listeners have seen emails like that. I've seen probably a hundred. Now, here's Jane's response, and let's see if it's a Biff response. Jane writes back, Thank you for responding to my request to take the children to my office party. Just to clarify, the party will be from 3 to 5 on Friday at the office, and there'll be approximately 30 people there, including several other parents bringing school-aged children. There will be no alcohol, as it's a family-oriented firm, and there'll be a family-oriented activities. I think it will be a good experience for them to see me at my workplace. Since you do not agree, then of course I will respect that and withdraw my request, as I know it is your parenting time. And that's the end of her email. Now, is it brief? Seems like it. Is it informative? Straight information? Yes. Friendly? She says, thank you. She says, I respect that. And is it firm? Does it end the hostilities and the conversation? Now, she could have said, um, with this information, please let me know by Thursday at 5 if I can now take the kids. But in this case, she chose not to, and that's always a choice. So that's an example. That's very impressive. <laughs> that is a really impressively calm response to a very hostile email. And it's especially important to know that you might feel like strangling the other person, but you write that email instead. <laughs> <laughs> it works so. much better. It does work much better. It's not what you feel like doing that matters. It's what you do that matters. And this is something that calms a lot of conflicts. And we're starting to get feedback that the person at the other end is starting to write back with a BIF format, even though they don't know about it. They just see that the co-parent that writes with a BIF form just looks so much more rational and reasonable. And if these emails got in court someday... Guess who's going to look good? The judge is going to say, well, I like what Jane said. I'm not so sure about Joe. All right. Well, we're going to go to break now, and I'll be back with Bill Eddy talking about high conflict or otherwise difficult co-parents in a couple of minutes. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Bill Eddy from the HighConflictInstitute.com. We've just been talking about making BIF responses, brief, informative, friendly, and firm responses to hostile email messages. So I want to mention that there actually is a whole website about how to do this, www.bif.com. BIFFresponse.com. Again, great resources there. So we had a terrific example just before the break. And I know, Bill, you can say a lot more about how a person who's able to stay calm and reasonable can respond very effectively to a high conflict co parent. What else would you like to say about that? Well, there's there's a lot I could say. I do a 90-minute webinar about it. I teach professionals this. I teach parents this. I teach people individually. Um, one thing to know is on the website with the articles under Parenting and Divorce, it's called Responding to Hostile Mail, parentheses, BIF, 
And so that's an easy way to read about it. But a couple other things to say. One is that each situation is different. So in the situation I gave, Jane, Jane just lets go of the request because she knows she's not going to get anywhere with Joe. But someone else in a different circumstance might, you know, reiterate their, their request and say, give me a, you know, let me know yes or no by a certain date so that we find that's really helpful. Give two choices and a date to respond, and that often helps solve problems. So you're not just saying, what do you think of that? And then you get another blast of hot air. So it's a way to manage the conversation if you do need to make a request. Um, not all of them do you just stop it the way Jane does in this case. So there's always three things to think about. Who you are, who the the reader is, who's, who's getting this, and what the situation is. But regardless, if you use the BIF format, brief, informative, friendly, and firm, it tends to calm the conversation. So we're, we're getting really good feedback on that. We've been teaching it for about eight years. And I, I calculated the other day, with the books that have been sold on this, with the seminars we've given, we think there's probably about 10,000 people have now been trained in BIF responses. So we're hoping to have an impact on this kind of email conversation. Very good. I think word is getting around about that. One of the other things I know I've heard you say can be really important is calming people when they're upset. Right, right. And we have a method we developed for that. We call it ear statements, E-A-R, and it's basically making a statement that shows empathy or pays attention or shows respect uh, for the other person. And once again, this is something you might do when you feel like strangling the other person or running away, but it actually calms people down if you're in a position where you can do that. Now, I do want to say, if you're, if you're in a situation where there's domestic violence, you've been a victim of abuse, you may not want to try to have face-to-face discussions. And ear statements are designed for face-to-face discussions. But, you know, 90% of people going through uh, separation and divorce um, do end up having face-to-face discussions. Maybe 10% have restraining orders or absolutely have decided to not be around the other person ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're having interactions, if the other person, even if the other person's angry, you can say something like, you know, I see how frustrated you are, or I see how important this is to you. Let's look at our options. You know, we can talk about this, or should we talk at another time? So that by staying calm and showing empathy, Uh, attention you can show by saying, tell me more and just hear the person, see what it is they have to say. And when people tell you more, they tend to calm down some. And respect is the other thing. A lot of people going through separation and divorce feel disrespected by the other parent. So if you can find something respectful to say, you know, uh, you did a good job at such and such or thanks for you know, taking Johnny to the soccer game or whatever it is that helps 
in a calming tone of voice calms the other person down and, and may make it easier to just let go of that conflict rather than stirring things up and now you spend another week reacting to them. So ear statements are something, if, you're, if it's comfortable to, to speak directly to each other, it's often a good approach to use, even if the other person's somewhat angry and upset. But if they're super angry and dangerous, then certainly just get out of the situation. Right. And what you're saying, I think, applies to people in general, not only to high-conflict personalities. Anybody who's really upset has a better chance of calming down if the people around them can show empathy, attention, and respect. Yes, and it's very much counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what you feel like doing, and it's the opposite of what you think. A lot of people try to raise their voices louder than the other person and try to say, no, you're not in charge, I'm in charge. But when they do that, they emotionally escalate a high-conflict person. Keep in mind, high-conflict people have a harder time managing their emotions. They tend to overreact, so don't act in a way that's going to make them have a harder time managing their emotions. Make it easier for them to manage their emotions, and that usually makes it easier for you. Got it. You are really a master of developing techniques for dealing with negotiations in difficult situations and with very difficult personalities. Another one that I've heard you teach is a three-step method for making proposals during negotiations. Tell us about that. Sure. And that's, that's really been a, a big focus for the past year because we've really developed this as a method and it's amazing how well it works. So there's three steps if you're making a proposal. And you can do this on the phone. You can do this with at a meeting, making big decisions. You can just do it on the spot with a two-minute discussion. There's three steps. First is making the proposal. It's basically it says, who does what, when, and where? You know, I'll pick up Johnny at um, school on Wednesday and take him to his soccer practice. Let's say it's not where the school is. And um, then I can stay until the game's over, but I'd I'd like you to pick him up because that's your night. So if if I can meet you at the game at 5 after the practice and you can then take him home. That's my proposal. So that's step one, make a proposal. The second is ask questions about the proposal. So the other person could say, well, where are you going to be on the field? Or there's, there's the, um, the, the seating section. Um, or what if I'm late? Um, I can't get off from work and get there by five. Um, would you bring him to, our, to my house? Or would you take him home to your house and I pick him up? So you ask questions like that. And then, of course, the other parent answers those questions. Then you say your response is only three things, yes, no, or I'll think about it. It's all you need to do to respond with, say, no, no, I can't do that. That, that won't work for me. Or you say, yes, I can do that. Um, when do you want to start? Or say, I'll think about it. Give me um, a couple days. I'll get back to you. 
So it's, it's kind of a, you know, a tennis match or ping pong or something like that. But it, there's actually a rhythm to it. And once people get used to that, it keeps it really simple so they don't overreact. You just say yes, no, or I'll think about it. I'll think about it. gives me a couple days. And my experience is a lot of the time people come back and say, yeah, I can do that. They just kind of had to get used to the idea. So it's, it's a comfortable back-and-forth process. I use this a lot in my family mediations um, between parents, and I teach it to them in the mediation process, and it's always fun to hear when I meet with them again that in the past couple weeks since I'd seen them that they'd used it several times and that it helped them reach some agreements. So um, I, I really... I, I kind of enjoy this process because it really calms things and makes it much more productive and uses people's intelligence instead of their defensiveness. Right. And it's probably worth emphasizing that part of saying, I'll think about it, is setting a deadline, saying, I'll get back to you within a couple of days. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right with that. It's very important um, because often especially if you're dealing with a possible high-conflict parent. High-conflict people often don't like to respond, so they just don't, don't respond. If you say, let me know when you're ready, they're never ready. But if you put a date, then that speeds things up. And the other thing is if they don't respond by that date, is remind them and say, if, if you don't respond yes or no, you know, now, then I will need to take further action. And so it's what you do now that matters, not trying to get them to do something. That's where a lot of high conflict behavior comes in is people trying to convince the other person to act differently. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is your choice, but it's up to you. But if you choose B instead of A, then I'm going to have to do something else. And you want to make that sound not like a threat if there's a way to do it. <laughs> exactly. It's a choice and, and non, as non-emotionally as possible. Um, yeah, something like that. I mean, I've had cases where people are kind of in and out of court and they're trying to manage out of court, but they have lawyers and sometimes the answer is, you know, please let me know by such and such at five by Thursday at five, um, and then they don't hear back, and they'll say, you know, can you let me know right now by five thirty? Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to call my lawyer and see what she suggests that I do. So that it's not like my hands are tied if the other person doesn't do anything. I'm going to do something else, and it's it's sometimes helpful for them to know it's information versus a threat, the tone of voice really makes something information or a threat. So if you use a threatening tone of voice, you escalate a high-conflict person. If you just keep it straight information and you say something like, you know, then I'll have to call my lawyer, I hope I don't have to do that. Um, That sometimes helps keep the situation calm, but it also helps the person know there's a consequence if I don't respond by Thursday at 5. Got it. 
Is it easy for you to tell one or two little stories of how you've seen this work out when you have two parents who both want to have the child living primarily with them? Dad wants the child living primarily with him. Mom wants the child living primarily with her. How does it play out? It it takes a while, usually. Um, and I, I'll admit that I haven't, uh, this comes up a lot in my mediation cases, and I have to admit that they haven't all reached an agreement. Some have gone to court, some have gone to court and then come back. Uh, What I find is a lot of it's an education process. So I had had a couple, um, I think they had three kids, and, and they both thought they would be the better parent. Um, mom thought she'd be the better parent and had been the primary caregiver. Um, I think one of the kids was a teenager and the other two maybe were 10 and 12 and then maybe a 14 or 15-year-old teenager. And I remember the, the mom said, you know, so I should have custody. And dad said, you know, no, I think I, think I should. It's... Um, you know, I have a better relationship with the kids, he says. And it, they both agreed he had a better relationship with the oldest child, the 14 or 15-year-old, um, it was a daughter. And they both agreed his relationship was better, but didn't agree that the solution was that he should have majority of parenting time. And the um, and, and so he said, I, I think... You know, that, that's what I want. I think that's the best. And so I tried to help them see other alternatives, but I also tried to help them see that there's no best plan for parenting schedules. That what the research shows is that the best plan is what both parents agree to because then the children don't feel caught in the middle and it becomes a matter of fact. Even if you have a strange parenting schedule, um, if the parents support it, the kids tend to support it because emotions are contagious and the way the parents feel about it passes on to the kids. So in this case, we met several times and I think that um, the, the father started thinking, okay, I don't have to be the primary parent, um, but I want equal parenting time. And mom felt, no, I still should be. I've been the primary parent. And kind of her message was, and I really don't like you anymore anyway. Um, but I, I try to help them see that that's not the issue. They're now, it's not about their relationship with each other. Now it's about their relationship with the kids. And so... One day he came in and he said, you know, I'm talking to my daughter and she really prefers to live with me and I've been talking with my lawyer and, and he believes I could get custody of my daughter and maybe even all three kids because they don't like to separate the kids. And I said, you know, you might be right because she's old and she's 15, I guess she was 15 and after about 14, the courts will pay attention to what the kids want, but that doesn't guarantee they get what they want. And so I said to him, you know, you might win custody. You might be right. That might be possible. 
But think of the position it's going to put your daughter in. Oh, I know. He said, I'll have her testify and say that I'm the parent she feels better with. And I talked to my lawyer about that. And there's rules that allow the kids to testify now. And I'm thinking, you know, this is really going to be terrible for the daughter and also the other kids. And so I said to him, I said, what do you think it will be like for her to be in a public place testifying for one parent against the other parent. And don't you think that's a terrible position to put a child in? You know, think of what the child's experience will be. And it really struck him. He really hadn't thought about the difficulty it would put her in to be in that position. And I think he really, you know, it was like a glimmer of empathy for what she would go through. And then I said something that's become one of my favorite phrases now, and that is, and remember, you may win custody in court, but you'll lose cooperation. And, like he, and he decided not to pursue being primary, and I think they went on to a 50-50 parenting arrangement. She had to consider things as well. But it was a big kind of an educating process um, is what I find that helps calm these. But the other thing is I respected both of them. I didn't take sides. I didn't like or dislike. It was a problem to solve. And it really was about the kids. And I and think that's, ultimately that's what happened. That's the magic of mediation with one yeah. family after another. We need to go to break. And I'll be back with Bill Eddy in a minute or two. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, Keep expenses down and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. 
The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and today I'm talking with Bill Eddy, who is a therapist and a lawyer, and an educator, and a terrific mediation trainer, and a mediator, of course. One of the things Bill has done more or less recently, long enough ago for us to have research about it, but not in the long-distant past, is create an online program, New Ways for Families. Tell us about that, Bill. Well, New Ways for Families, New Ways really means new skills, and so the focus of New Ways for Families is teaching both parents four big skills, which they then teach their children. And we have this in, in several formats. We have this in a few court jurisdictions where it's two counselors teaching the skills to two parents in counseling, and then a parent-child counselor with the parents together. But we also now have an online course so that parents can get up to 12 sessions of uh, interactive training in learning these skills. And interaction is by writing exercises. So we teach BIF responses. Uh, we teach these four skills. And let me tell you what they are. The four big skills are flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behaviors, and checking yourself. By checking yourself is going, wait a minute, is, am I using my skills or am I overreacting here? So these are four skills that parents, both parents learn. That's a big part of New Ways for Families is that both parents learn this so they use the same skills with the children and then they can both teach their children these skills. So the idea, and it was designed for potentially high-conflict parents. And in high-conflict cases, as I mentioned, sometimes it's both parents, but a lot of times it's one high-conflict parent and one reasonable parent. Both go through learning these skills. The reasonable parent can use them to help get along with the high-conflict parent because, as I said earlier, you want to manage yourself, not try to manage the other person, and you can influence the other person by how you manage yourself. So it's a good way for both parents uh, to learn skills that can then help them make decisions and especially make decisions to stay out of court, like what the parenting schedule is, um, where the school's going to be, who the doctor is, all those kinds of decisions. And we're having a lot of success. We're seeing a lot of parents stay out of court that started their case in court and looked like they might be there for the next few years. So we're very pleased um, in how it's growing. And, of course, there's a website for that. I can't say 
everything about it. So go to the website for more information. It's New Ways, the number four, families.com. So it's New Ways for families.com. What would be an example of how a parent who has taken this course and done well and internalized the training, how could they teach a child about flexible thinking or about managing emotions? Oh, this is, this is great. Um, even on their own, even if the other parent isn't doing this at all, even if the other parent is a high-conflict co-parent, they can teach their child in everyday life. So let's say you're at the store and you're with your, your daughter or your son and you see there's another child lying on the floor in the supermarket having a tantrum and you could say, wow, looks like that child's not managing their emotions very well, doesn't it? And, and you're, you can, let's say you're talking to your eight-year-old son or daughter and they can kind of chuckle with you. Yep. That's not managed emotions in my mind. Um, flexible thinking is giving a choice, is saying, um, you know, we have a chance to go to a movie. Uh, what, do we, what do we each want to see? And we'll use our flexible thinking to come up with an agreement on what we see. But I want to hear what everyone is interested in seeing so we can practice making a choice, making a decision. So, I believe these four skills are the, big, the, the four big skills for life and that if parents integrate it into daily routines, then let's say a reasonable parent, let's say a child comes back from the weekend with the other parent who who's, has an emotional anger problem and they, they disregarded the child's uh, drawing or, or some homework they'd done or something and and the child says to you, well, well, what should I do? And you can say, well, let's use our flexible thinking now and come up with a strategy. Or let's say, you know, dad was just yelling. It's just, you know, I, I hate when he does that. Then rather than criticizing dad and saying, oh, yeah, he used to yell a lot around me too. I hate that about him. Instead of saying that is say something like, you know, some people have a hard time managing their emotions. That way you can't get in trouble for bad-mouthing the other parent to the child. So by focusing on skills rather than who's good or who's bad, you can teach your child how to cope with a difficult co-parent, but also how to cope with life because these issues are going to come up with friends and other people. That's true, and the supermarket example is a good one because you certainly do get to observe a lot of kinds of behavior just being out in public. Exactly. So do high-conflict parents ever calm down and realize how bad their behavior was? Well, the truly high-conflict parents usually don't reflect on their own behavior, so it's just not going to be insight. And they're not going to someday say, you know, I was out of line. It's just part of their personality. And so what we've learned is not to have insight be the goal, but to have strategies for dealing with their behavior. My experience is generally they calm down and then maybe get upset 
you know, a couple months later about something and then calm down again. So in many ways, the goal is to manage the relationship with them rather than try to eliminate their bad behavior or try to make them have insights. That's just usually not a realistic goal. And you don't really need that in order to get along. You just need to keep things calm and get decisions made and and focus on the kids. And doing a good job with the kids yourself, even if you think the other parent isn't doing that well. The kids see what works, uh, so do what works. We have only a couple of minutes left. Um, I'm wondering what you'd like to say about what happens to the kids if the what after the parents have had a high conflict separation or a high conflict divorce. How does it turn out for the kids? It really depends on whether the kids have some reasonable people in their lives. Hopefully, that's at least one of their parents, ideally both parents. But if they also have reasonable teachers, friends, coaches, uh, other family members, people that don't take sides but teach them skills like these four skills and give them a lot of love, um, that really makes a huge difference, I think. If the kids feel that there's enough people in their lives that that do have energy for them, love for them, and can teach them how to do things well so they don't just get stuck in learning how to take sides and fight fights. And most kids do seem to do okay. It's the level of conflict that's the issue more than whether they're separated or divorced. So a lot of really successful kids grow up to have a really good life if if they have a minimum of conflict, whether or not their their parents divorced or separated. That's not the issue. It's the level of conflict is the issue. If If one parent is behaving very badly and chronically setting up high conflicts, should the other parent talk to family and friends about that or talk only to a professional counselor? I need the 30-second answer. <laughs> really should deal with a counselor. You don't want to involve other people and drag them in. That escalates things unnecessarily. Keep them out, stay neutral, and focus on getting good help that's neutral and will really help you. And there's hope, so good luck. Okay. I want to remind our listeners that there are at least three websites we've mentioned today where you can get additional information and ideas and help with these thoughts about dealing with a high-conflict co-parent or even a high-conflict personality in the workplace. So you can go to www.highconflictinstitute.com, www.newwaysforfamilies.com, or www.biffresponse.com. I want to thank Bill Eddy very much for being on the show today, and thank you for being such a great resource to the mediation community and the legal community and to parents. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.